the week of May 1st, 2022, May Day, this is Showbiz Sandbox, episode 582, the podcast that brings you all the dirt on the news making headlines around the entertainment world. In Los Angeles, I'm Jay Sperling Reich. And in British Columbia, I'm Michael Giltz. What better way to celebrate May Day? We're not actually recording on May Day, we're recording on May 2nd. But what better way to celebrate May Day than to talk about a strike? Unfortunately, Directors are going on strike or are on strike in British Columbia. Uh, production is grinding to a halt because they have demands and they haven't been met. And we'll have to see where that goes. There's a lot of TV that's filmed there. We'll have to see where it ends up. But, you know, May Day, that's when people went on strike in Haymarket for, you know, an eight-hour workday. They were killed for the crazy idea that they might work eight hours a day rather than 12 or 16. Uh, we may go on strike, you and I, Sperling, to say, hey, we want to do a one-hour podcast. Why does it have to be two hours? It's too much work. I have no idea what you're talking So you're saying that like people on a production went on strike. Is that what you're no, talking about? No, no, no. There's a, there's a general strike in, in the Canadian, Canadian oh, okay. film and television industry that, that in British Columbia. Uh, okay. Directors are on strike. Got it, got it. Okay, I wasn't paying attention to uh, production in British Columbia. Oh, little Mr. CinemaCon was too busy. Hey, you know, um, I'm, I'm still catching up on emails, you know what I mean? A lot, a lot was going on this week. For example, we have just put all of our Netflix, Netflix, all of our showbiz stock, all our, we've liquidated all our assets and we are buying Netflix stock. They are at $193 right now. We are going all in. I'm actually going to buy Twitter. I think Elon's getting cold feet. <laughs> he's going he's gonna to turbocharge that stock. Well, yeah. uh, the, by the way, don't do anything we say. This is, not, this is for entertainment purposes only, not financial advice. So before we destroy people's nest egg, what are we going to talk about this week? Do you think we really have to qualify the fact that we are not financial analysts and that you shouldn't be listening to us for stock advice? You know, what you should be listening to us for is, is well, I can tell you this week on Showbiz Sandbox, we are back after I took a week off to attend CinemaCon, as you just mentioned, Michael. And have you got an hour or two? Because we've got a lot to talk about. Netflix went into a nosedive after a bad quarterly earnings report. In fact, they waited until our show was done taping last <laughs> yeah. week, and then they announced it. Uh, now, here's the question. Was it stock? overpriced? Is streaming not such a big deal after all? Is Netflix still the company everyone wants to emulate? And can all of these things be true at the same time? Yes. Probably. Yeah. We'll discuss. Yeah. Well, also, we've got some streaming numbers. And if belts are being tightened, word hasn't really reached the set of those Game of Thrones or Lord of the Rings prequels. On Inside Baseball, we'll dive deep into CinemaCon and I'll give a frame-by-frame analysis of the entire 90 seconds worth of clips of Avatar 2. Okay, actually, we'll talk about AMC's big bet on laser projection, the death of day and date, big studio releases, how glad I am not to be served papers on stage at CinemaCon, and then I'll do a frame-by-frame -frame analysis of yes. Avatar 2 and whether you should dust off those 3D glasses. Of course, during Big Deal or Big Whoop, we'll discuss some of the week's top headlines, but first, as always, we turn it over to entertainment journalist extraordinaire Michael Giltz to fill us in on last week's box office. That's right. And we're looking at box office around the world. We get a link to Comscore in our show notes and we look everywhere else that we can to pull up the information that we have. Uh, the box office in India, Japan, which is like a week behind box office mojo. What's going on there? Surely you have the numbers by now from Japan. But anyway, putting it all together, we look at the entire week's box office. And the number one movie around the world is Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore. 
It made another $50 million this week. It's at $330 million worldwide. It's staring down at the at the train coming down the tracks of Doctor Strange and the Madness of Multiverse or whatever it's called. That movie is coming at it multiply. And uh, it's will it fall off the rails next week? Will it continue to grow? It's not even at $400 million yet. It needs to get to $600 million not to be a disaster. They're supposed to make two more movies. Will that happen? But that is the number one movie of the world right now. Dumbledore is at $50 million. At number two is Sonic the Hedgehog 2 at $36 million. That's at $325 million worldwide. At number three is The Bad Guys, that DreamWorks animated film based on a kid's book series. $32 million this week. That's at $120 million and still going strong. Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum hope they have a franchise on their hand. It's The Lost City. That made another $21 million. It's now about doubled the reported budget of $75 million, which has to be on the low side. It's at $150 million worldwide, but a lot of goodwill and the sort of movie that will do very well in home entertainment. Is that the way to refer to all the stuff that comes later, home entertainment? That seems fair, right? I think so. Yeah. yeah. Home viewing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. although now it's like, you know, home entertainment, streaming is home entertainment. It doesn't like, well, nobody cares. people still buy stuff. They digital download stuff. They see it on cable that, you know, you get to sell it again to premium cable and to basic cable and to satellite channels and on, it's available on demand, you know, so because you may not own the place where the lost city is going to show. In fact, where is the lost city? Who made the lost city? Paramount. Paramount. So that would be on what channel, what streaming service? Paramount Plus. That's right. Maybe you don't subscribe to Paramount Plus. I think you can get access to it without paying any money. I think you can just get a tier where it's all ad supported. Maybe it's just a minimal amount, but maybe that means the Lost City has ads. And so you don't really want to do that. Instead of paying for a month of Paramount Plus, you might just want to spend three or $4 to watch it on demand. So Home Entertainment captures all of that. And you may be watching The Northman on Home Entertainment sooner than they would have liked. That made another $18 million this week. It's at $42 million. But the movie cost a pricey $80 million. It does have a fair amount of the world to go, of course. But we'll have to see if this does better overseas than it did in North America. Certainly in India, they have another big hit. We talked uh, two weeks ago about different Indian films coming from different territories, originating in different parts of the country and different cultures, beginning in different languages and how good that is, how strong that is for Indian cinema. And KGF Chapter 2, an Indian action film, is certainly one of them. Uh, that stars Yash, and it grows $16 million this week. It's at $131 million worldwide, one of the biggest Indian hits of all time, along with RRR, which is not on our charts, but also has made a ton of money, more like $150 million and counting. Another movie that is really doing well, and Sperlin will talk about it at CinemaCon, is Everything Everywhere All at Once. The Michelle Yao action, comedy, sci-fi, crazy stuff that is this nutty movie. Jamie Lee Curtis is also great in it. Uh, $11 million this week. $41 million worldwide. In North America, this movie increased its, its take over last week. It made more money this weekend than it did last weekend. So this movie has great word of mouth. It's got legs. It was platformed. It has legs. It has great reviews. It has all the buzzwords you love to hear about a big hit movie that sort of comes out of nowhere. Now, it's kind of pricey. It costs $25 million to make, but it's already at $40 million, and this movie will absolutely hit $75 million worldwide, making it one of the biggest hits for A24 of all time. I predict it'll probably be their biggest hit, period, and it's got a long ways to go in the rest of the world. 
it's $3 million away from that right now. Not worldwide take. No, no, it's not. Yeah, but keep in mind, they don't own worldwide. They own... They that, own, but uh, when domestic. you're talking about what movie of theirs has made the most money worldwide, it would not be this one yet. It has to, I think, make hit seventy or eighty million dollars to do that. That's okay, but it's going to be the highest grossing film in North America. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Well, great. Well, which is where they, which is where they distribute movies. So yes, but and it's important to them when their movies make a lot of money worldwide because they can charge more money for them. Don't act like the worldwide doesn't matter. The whole purpose of our show is to look at the worldwide box office because the big picture matters. What matters is when you may, when you put down $25 million to make a movie, you're going to be able to sell it better around the world when there are big successes around the world, right? Uh, you know, they would look at it as if I paid uh, $25 million to make a movie and I only collect receipts in North America, it better make $50 million in North America. No, no, because A, you need to triple your budget, but B, they sold it off to other territories. So they made money off that. So they didn't spend, they, 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 you don't, I don't believe that they sold it off. I believe it was sold off and they bought it. So unless they, they were the producer uh, from the, the get-go, a sales company sold it off, but they don't necessarily get that money. So now you're getting deep into the set. So you don't know the contract for everything, everywhere, all at once. You haven't looked at it, but you think you know what it is. So A24 picked it up at show by, uh, South by Southwest. Is that what you're saying? I don't know where they picked it up. Why don't you keep going and I'll look it up while... Yeah, while, uh, yeah rather than speculating. But uh, a lot of the, the, the trades talked about this movie being their biggest worldwide hit. A movie that they have being their biggest worldwide hit. Maybe they picked up worldwide. Downton Abbey, A New Era, is going to be a big worldwide hit. It's already opened up in the UK. It made $9 million on its opening week. The original one, the original film, I should say, cost about 13 to $20 million. That's the extremely rough estimate that I've seen on Wikipedia. I don't think we know what it cost. It certainly didn't cost a lot. I guess a lot of the stuff was built in because they had the cast. They had the set of, you know, uh, Highclere Castle. Uh, they had a fair amount of stuff in the, in the warehouse for the period detail that they needed. That all stuff was there ready and waiting, I assume. So maybe they did keep it to $20 million. This sequel, I assume they had to pay up a little bit more. The cast is still not ready to, you know, demand huge money. But, you know, that original cost $20 million. It grossed almost $200 million. So I don't think it would be surprising if the sequel made $30 million. I certainly hope Maggie Smith got her share. But off to a good, strong start in the UK and about five or six other territories, it made $9 million on its opening week. And this week, the unbearable weight of massive talent starring Nicolas Cage as Nicolas Cage, and I believed him, made another $9 million. It's at $18 million and counting. Like everything, everywhere, all at once, this is a terrific, you know, low, mid-budget hit. It's the sort of movies they say, oh, nobody cares anymore. It's only big superhero movies. Everything else should go to streaming. Nonsense, ridiculous. Look at those three movies in a row. Everything, everywhere, all at once, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, Downton Abbey. This is all great news for exhibitors. And for good movies in general, you want people to be making movies of all sorts of budget sizes. And those three show you can make money when you do it. People will absolutely go to the movies to see smaller movies. They just have to be good. Yeah, like, you know, everything, everywhere, all at once. I mean, the buzz on this movie was so impactful that I went to see that movie over the Batman. Okay, I was like, well, I only have to see one movie. So did I. Uh, and, And to give you some sense, by the way, to answer your question. Mm-hmm. Um, 
uh, it, it, it's being released in the United States by A24, that movie. Okay. Uh, in Russia, for instance, that movie is the only well, it won't movie be that was released. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's, yeah, Volga is the only new release in, in that territory, except for Bollywood films. Uh, and in different territories, it is being released by different companies. So Roadshow Films, for instance, is, well, is released. Who made it originally? Uh, well, uh, it was, you know, independently produced and three point capital was the, you know brokered it so there was a sales uh group that that then sold it to different territories so we that's don't know what, what can is all about yeah but we that's don't know what, what a24 bought it for no we have no idea right okay so there you go movie sales are complicated but it does matter that the movie made a lot of money all over the world oh yeah absolutely and also making money all over the world is stay with me a chinese romantic drama i think a young couple, I guess, from high school, they go to college in different colleges and they try to do that long distance thing. Doesn't usually work out well, but maybe in the movies. It made $8 million this week under very difficult circumstances because a lot of China is shut down. Morbius made another $5 million. Father Stu, the Mark Wahlberg film, made $4 million. Uh, that's not going to catch fire the way those others have, uh, but it's at about $18 million worldwide. Uh, there's a, a, a Chinese crime film called Man on the Edge that made about $3 million this week. I think we missed it last week. Well, we didn't have a show last week, but I missed it last week. It's at $11 million total, so not setting the world on fire. And poor Liam Neeson. Give the guy a break. Let him make a romantic comedy. Let him make an animated film. Let him make something. But no, well, the man he is, is a guy. He is a guy with a particular set of skills oh, acquired over. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. When my brother can quote that line, you really want to stop. <laughs> when my older brother, <laughs> when it seeped down to the old guy, you really don't want to. You don't really want to repeat it. So memory is his latest film. He's an assassin with Alzheimer's. That's the trick. It's a remake of a, of a international film. I forget what country from somewhere in Scandinavia, I think. Um, but anyway, it's a remake. Poor reviews. Poor box office, open to $3 million. It's a, practically its own genre, Liam Neeson in an action film. But God bless him. I like him. And like we and there's a film in Japan, Detective Conan, The Bride of Halloween. The Detective Conan film is a series of anime movies. They have different plots from the TV show and mangas, I believe, that are all in the Detective Conan universe or multiverse, I guess. This movie has made $28 million in Japan. Uh, it wasn't on Comscore, and I couldn't figure out what it made this week. The charts I can find for Detective Conan do not have the latest box office figures. They only go back to last week. So as of last week, it had made $28 million. Uh, it hasn't been on our radar yet. It wasn't on the Comscore charts. So I'm not quite sure why. But that is the big hit in Japan right now. And happily, of course, it will, you know, it hasn't, has it played here yet? I don't think it's the 25th film in the Detective Conan series. And it's about the 25th film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. That's what we've got with Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. I'm looking forward to seeing it this weekend because I saw everything everywhere all at once. And now I will only see movies set in the multiverse. That's my rule. If it's not in the multiverse, I'm not going. I can tell you every movie will now be in the multiverse because it seems like it's ridiculous. Now, just to finish off on everything everywhere. Yeah. So, uh, uh, the highest grossing A24 film was Uncut Gems. It was only $50 million. $50 million only released theatrically here in North America. And that's because that's it was owned right. by was Netflix. A, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And they let, you know, I guess A24, they sold it to Netflix. Uh, everywhere else, it made $50 million domestically. And of course, now uh, we have. This will blow uh, past that. 
it, well, this will blow blow past it. Yes. Where is that at right now in North America? Uh, if you give me a moment, I could I could tell you. It, but that's, uh, it's at uh, the latest dailies. It's at th- oh no, it's at uh, thirty five million dollars in North America. So it needs fifteen sixteen million dollars to pass. Yeah, uh, uncut gems. The Adam Sandler star. And you know, guess what? It made uh, what did it make last weekend? It made uh, in North America it made five million. So it's going to get there. It's going to get there. It's got and it didn't drop. You know, it increased from last weekend. It's on two thousand two hundred screens. It made more money this week than last week in North America. That's tremendously good word of mouth. It made five point five million dollars up a titch. So you know it's going to chug along and make another fifteen million dollars. Why are we talking about this movie so much? Because it's so important. A to have hits. And it's so important to know that you can make movies that are not pre-sold, pre-packaged, that are not big budget spectacles. There is a lot of room in the box office. We can see that week after week when they release movies, the bad guys, this, that, the other thing. They're making money. People want to see these movies. And by the way, if the scientists are right, every movie is set in the multiverse. (gasps) I just blew your mind. Anyway, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness will be seeing it here on Friday. They'll have the trailer to Avatar 2, whatever the heck it's called preceding that movie so that's one reason to see it hey everybody knows now it's called the way of water avatar the way way of water Water. that's very nice but we won't be seeing dr strange in saudi arabia because the movie has a gay character and it'll probably be banned in china this is a bummer for them why because there's a scene on the streets of new york city and i've walked the streets of new york city many times and when you have those clusters of little newspaper kiosks i don't mean the newspaper stand where there's somebody selling stuff, but there are some machines all along the street, like you can buy USA Today or the Wall Street Journal. There is a Chinese language newspaper, which frankly, I never really looked at because I figured, oh, it's probably some house organ from the Chinese government. Au contraire, in fact, it is an <laughs> anti uh, uh newspaper, anti-communist party newspaper that's created ruckus, reaching out to the Chinese-speaking community in New York City and around the world. And you glimpse that in the corner of a scene because they didn't think to take it down in one second of the movie. And uh, people in China are like, how dare you? <laughs> the bloggers are like, how dare you? And they're probably going, oh, God, you know, like it's not in the movie. You know, erase it digitally, people. That's all I can say. You know, <laughs> you know, Matt Bellany uh, in his uh, column, uh, I think it was last week, he talked about how Tom Rothman and Sony Pictures were asked by China. They were trying to get a release date for Spider-Man. Uh, and Why China not? said, OK. Sure. Give us, do us a solid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they said, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll release it, but you need to remove the Statue of Liberty from the film. No. And as everybody knows- Why did, that why was, did they say that? I don't know. That, oh, so then, I do, because Tiananmen Square, they erected a Statue of Liberty uh, similar. I forget what they called it. It was a different name, but it was, it was the same idea as the Statue of Liberty, and the students put that up in Tiananmen Square. I just remembered that. That's why. Well- you know, that's Sony hilarious. Said, yeah, that's yeah hilarious. we're not going to do that. And then, then China came back and said, okay, well, will you like make it darker? Will you make her, her visage, her, her, her face darker, the face of the statue? And Sony went, ah, uh, you know, let us, uh, no, no, we're not going to do it. And, and the reality is what, what people have begun realizing is, well, what they would have released it with one week's notice. Uh, right. It would have, you know, why, yes, the first- why, why, why bend over backwards when you're not even assured of getting a release, much less one proper that you can do something with? 
Right. And that's happening more and more with Chinese releases. I did ask, by the way, uh, Charles Rifkin of the Motion Picture Association about what's going on with Chinese releases. I asked him at CinemaCon during their pr- their press. Uh, you know, he said, who knows? No, he did have an answer uh, about the memorandum of understanding and how, yes, we need to get get that memorandum of understanding, which was supposed to be moving toward a deal. Uh <laughs> And Somehow it never they came didn't about. Sign on the dotted line. He said, "Let's put it this way." He said that memorandum of understanding was negotiated by then Vice President Joe Biden. Yeah, so, that's how old it is. Yeah, uh, and he was. Yeah. Uh, well, that was called the Goddess of Democracy, by the way. The what what the statue they erected during a during a Tiananmen Square. Um, but anyway, moving on, it is time for our GoFundMe section. We want to reach out and help out the less fortunate, the CEOs who did not get the pay increase that they need. Comcast CEO Brian Roberts got $34 million or thereabouts. Uh, Jeff Shell at NBC Universal, he got $21.6 million. And then we have uh, AMC TV network head Matthew Blank got $7 million. And IMAX CEO Richard Gelfond got $9 million. Here's the crazy thing. You look at seven million and nine million when you've got people who made three hundred million, eighty million, and you think, oh well, that's not much. That's how distorted you get. Nine million dollars is an insane amount of money for a CEO to make of a publicly traded company or a private company. It's just a crazy amount of money. And yet it seems low. You're like, oh well, that's that's reasonable. <laughs> you know, that's how distorted it gets once you get used to those bigger numbers. So if you can go to our GoFundMe page. Chip in what you can, and we'll do what we can to help them out. Yeah, and you know what? If you want to write to us, and and we do have a number of emails that we will be reading on next week's episode because oh. this episode's going to be so long. Yeah. Uh, I know that that for for instance, uh, you know, if I'm not mistaken, Raul Briel, who uh, you know, streaming into the void, his his podcast, streaming into the void, he sent something for you, Michael, about oh. uh, the Ampere analysis chart. Did I do something uh, wrong which, again? Uh, you know what? You'll have to tune in next week to find out how wrong Michael me was. See, I have to respond in real time, so I can't do my homework. But anyway, all right, I'll look forward to that. <laughs> no, I'll let you. Michael gets uh, you spanked again on the air. Anyway. Uh, you know what? Uh, you can write to us, dirt at showbizsandbox.com. That's D-I-R-T at showbizsandbox.com. You can call and leave us a voicemail, which we will play live on the air, 888-567-7263. That's 888-567. 567-SAND, uh, or you can uh, follow us on Facebook where our uh, pages can be found at Showbiz Sandbox or or uh, over on Twitter at Showbiz Sandbox is our handle. That's not true because I have left voicemail messages and you never play them on the air. I'm like, more Michael, less Sperling. But no, you never, never play them on the air. But we do listen to you and we've gotten some feedback. People like us talking about different areas more than movies because most of our listeners are in the movie biz and they want to learn how other businesses and entertainment deal with the stuff they deal with and how they might, you know, reflect or be a lesson that people in the movie biz can learn. And some people have said, we love you covering streaming, but there are so few numbers that it doesn't seem really helpful. We get lost in the thicket of numbers, which we try to avoid with the box office. We try to tell stories about them and they want us to tell more stories about streaming rather than try and go down through the charts of the top 10 and all that sort of stuff. So we do have numbers for a month ago. Nielsen gives us the numbers for the last month, you know, week of March 28th through April 3rd. We've got a link to them in our show notes. They report on North American smart TV viewing for Amazon, 
Disney Plus, Hulu, Netflix, and Apple. That means the stuff I watch on my laptop and when Sperling watches Lawrence of Arabia on his phone, that stuff is not included in these numbers, but they are. I don't are. watch Lawrence of Arabia on my phone. Everybody <laughs> knows I, I watch it on my, my, my watch. On your my Apple watch. watch. And so yeah. uh, these numbers can be compared to themselves week to week. So that's the most useful info we can pull out of them. The real numbers are bigger. And of course, it's just North America and it's not even all the streamers. Come on, HBO Max, get in the mix. So we know there's more viewing going all over the world that oh, we're yeah. not capturing, but it is something to look at. And we look at the top 10 overall. We see Bridgerton, uh, their first, their new episode, their season two, I should say, dropped on March 25th. So there was three days of viewing in the last chart. And now this chart, it's grown a ton. It's on top of the charts with 3.2 billion minutes. It grew by 700 million minutes. When we look at, is there a story to tell? Well, looking at, the number 10 movie on the overall chart, that's The Atom Project. That's also on Netflix. Actually, they're all from Netflix, except two things from Disney. And The Atom Project on Netflix stars Ryan Reynolds. And that movie dropped a ton from this week from last week. So it's been on the chart since March 11th. So that's 18, 21. So that's, this is the fourth week. And it dropped from 1.1 billion viewed minutes to 475 million minutes. So it dropped like 65%, 724 million minute drop. So people have been watching that movie. It's been well sampled. Maybe they'll consider it a overall success, but it's not chugging along week after week. It didn't grow a lot. It just opened big, got sampled. That's what movie stars are for. So Ryan Reynolds did his job, but I don't think the movie really delivered. That's certainly not the case for Encanto, which is back on top at number one for the movie charts. Uh, and that's also Disney Plus and Turning Red. Now, Turning Red is number five on this top chart over the week. And so we've got Encanto at number two, Turning Red at number five, and The Atom Project at number 10. Those are three movies in the top 10. We also have a number of acquired stuff and some, and some stuff like Criminal Minds. But Encanto is number two, 744 million minutes viewed. Back to number one on the movie chart. That is a movie that is a huge, huge success story. And did it help to be in the theaters? I would say yes. 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 Absolutely. And a lot, of, a, a lot of the talk about uh, that at CinemaCon was, hey, Turning Red and The Atom Project would have done incredibly well at uh, in theaters and been a way more made way more of a cultural impact if they had been in theaters. And stuff obviously can have a big cultural impact just from TV alone. Game of Thrones, Stranger Things. We know that. And movies can do that. But it's a little harder for a movie, I think, than a series or even a miniseries. It's a little harder to make that impact, though Bird Box did it with Sandra Bullock. There can the fact be that big, you're quoting a movie from like three or four years ago kind of tells you the, the I don't watch movies on streaming though. So I'm just saying oh, okay. that movies, you're right. You're right. There's fewer of them, but it can be done. It's not like it can't happen. There are TV movies that were huge cultural impacts just from one night of TV. But when you're spending $200 million or $150 million, why in God's name, you would walk away from the chance to make some of that back at the theater and whatever the quality of the movie is, believe me, they're going to know that on streaming. You can't think like, well, if I just put it on streaming, they won't care that it sucks. You know, they will turn away from the movie, you know? So if you think, well, yeah, but if I put it in theaters, it's really going to do poorly. Well, then you need to make better movies, but you can still make some money in the theater. So yeah, but there was a story in variety about streaming and it was talking about how this is before the Netflix stuff happened. So it's that. Yeah. Context. I mean, you're burying the lead here. I mean, it well, should be all about Netflix. Well, we're getting to, 
streaming shows can get very, very expensive. I love this. They had a variety story on how HBO kept the, the cost of the House of Dragon series, the prequel to Game of Thrones. They kept each episode cost below $20 million per episode. Penny pinching people. <laughs> they were like boasting how they kept the cost below $20 million an episode. It's 10 episodes. It's going to cost about $200 million. And you think, wow, how did they do it? Well, practice. They had Game of Thrones. They had Westworld. They worked on His Dark Materials. And now House of Dragons, but very expensive. Stranger so so things- let me get this straight. Yeah. They kept the price lower than the average cost of a John Hughes film. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Stranger Things season four costs $30 million per episode. Variety quotes somebody about that Wall Street Journal story. Uh, they quote somebody with things. That's not true. That's not true. But what they didn't say was how much it costs, which means it's not true. It only costs $29.5 million. You know, like if they don't come back at you with like, that's outrageous. It costs nowhere near that. No, they just, that's not true. Well, maybe it's not, but it's probably in the ballpark. And Lord of the Rings, of course, those 80 episodes cost so much money and I'm going to watch them. That's for sure. But the big news that happened while Sperling was away is Netflix. Netflix hit a road bump. Netflix collapsed. Whatever story you want to put on it. Netflix Netflix is dead. It's dead, I tell you. Everybody cancel your subscriptions now. What happened? Tell us. So what happened was Netflix was supposed to get 2.5 million subscribers this past quarter. Now, you heard the big news about Netflix. Everybody heard it. It gained 500,000 subscribers in the first quarter. What? Which you'd think, yeah, yeah. You heard they lost 200,000 subscribers. That's what you really heard. Everybody panicked and, and announced they would definitely someday soon offer a cheaper tier of Netflix. And they're going to do that with ads, right? That, that's what they're going to do. That's all true. But look at the fine print. The only reason it lost subscribers in the first quarter is because they shut down their business in Russia. That's 700,000 subscribers right there all at once. Now, gaining 500,000 subscribers is a lot better than losing 200,000, but it's still far shorter than the estimated 2 million Netflix had predicted. And putting in ads will be very, very tricky. I don't know how they're going to do that. I mean, does Victoria's Secrets just sponsor Bridgerton and hope for the best? Or will Netflix have to actually open up its black box and show advertisers, you know, how many people are actually watching? And I can Ooh, tell I you- so. I hope so. I hope so. I can so. tell you wh- one of the funnier lines was, was, you know, Jerry Bruckheimer trying to explain he didn't want to say, do you know who I am? But he was trying to say, look, I can't get the numbers out of these people. And if a producer like me, who's made all these hit movies, nobody can't get the numbers. No big st- George Clooney can't get the numbers. You know, nobody can get the numbers. But I have to say, didn't the war and that impact on their numbers put the, I was annoyed. I read like four or five stories before I found that nugget buried somewhere like, oh, by the way, they cut off Russia. And so they lost 700,000 subscribers. So, yes, they, they gained 500,000 subscribers in general. They would have, you know, far lower than two million. But that's pretty different. And to not read that right well, away. But here's the thing. You say you say they gained 500,000 subscribers. Well, I'm saying they the would have the- gained if they hadn't cut off Russia. They had to. The war caused them to have to report a loss. But I would immediately put out, oh, by the way, they did turn off Russia, which means they lost 700,000 subscribers. So in fact, overall, they would have gained half a million. That's, that's a much different story. Actually, they were supposed to. Uh, guidance was they well, would know, they the said, guidance was two million. They fell short. No, but 2. nonetheless, 5. 2. losing 5. subscribers is very no. It said two million. 
So look it up. Uh, maybe I'm wrong, but I had written down 2 million subscribers. But whatever the estimate was, they fell short of that. But gaining subscribers is very different psychologically from losing subscribers. They'd never lost subscribers before, had they? Over a whole year? Uh, yes, maybe 10 years ago. Point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But nonetheless, nonetheless, that's a very different story. And to not immediately put it into context that they had to turn off Russia and lose 700,000 subscribers, throwing off their numbers a bit, that's an important caveat. That's a lot of numbers, you know, 700,000. So, you know, when you're saying we might make 2 million in a quarter and you cut out 700,000, start off that now you need to make 2.7 million just to meet your your metric. Well, that's that's a big deal. I felt like that was so, not So well guidance reported. in their last earnings call was that they should gain around 2.5 million subscribers. Now, people also thought, hey, that's really low. Shouldn't you be making three, four million subscribers? That's, that's so, ridiculous. Yeah. That's ridiculous. As we've been saying for two years, the explosion in subscribers that all these streamers are it's seeing over. will not last. And we said a year ago, two years ago, when they report like, you know, no new subscribers, very few new subscribers, or even a loss, people can say, oh, the world's over. Streaming is dead. It's like, no, everybody who wanted to sign up was about to sign up in the next year or two did it a year ago. People signed keep up in, in mind, advance who would way, not have done it sooner. And now, of course, keep, it's going to slow down. Keep in mind that this is also the quarter where Netflix the quarter, right? raised their prices. The, they right. raised their prices, which gave everybody an excuse to go, oh, yeah, I guess I am still subscribed to Netflix. It wasn't what? churn. Actually, it wasn't churn. They didn't report this as being the normal churn. Uh, I don't believe they raised the prices until after the, uh, you know, this earnings report thing, right? I mean, no, no, not, they did right. it in the middle but of, most the of the quarter. It was not at the beginning of the quarter. No, it was, no, it was yeah, mid-quarter. Right, right. This isn't people reacting to that price. They're not going to be losing tens of millions of subscribers because they raised their price. Their price increase was modest. It's in North America. Uh, it's a lot of money if you you know don't have a lot of money, but it's a reasonable price for the service. They're not collapsing. They also they didn't even they didn't even clamp down on passwords. People don't even report that right. They just said you can already have five people use your password. If you want to have six or seven, you can just pay a little bit. And as a bonus, they won't have to have your password and access, so it'll be easier for you to turn them off. You know, and they won't have access to all your info. So, and it will be less awkward for you to turn it off. So they don't even report that right. I find it very annoying. Well, the, uh, yeah, it, I'm just looking here. They, yeah. So the reason that they lost subscribers and why everybody went, you know, because they gained ten, tens of millions uh, a year in advance before people were ready for it. You know, they gained every possible person who was close to signing up in the, during the pandemic. Right. Yes, I would agree. And I think what people, the reason everybody was in such a tizzy is because, you know, if there is any service that can show how much money can be made or how many subscribers at the current time right. can be obtained uh, with a streaming service without any competition, it would be Netflix. Because they were so far out in front that, yeah, okay, 200, 220, 250 million subscribers, that's it. That's the limit. They hit the wall because now there's, there's competition. And so now the only place to go for Netflix is down. And oh my goodness, that means something else. If you're Disney or if, if you're Warner Brothers Discovery, you now know this. Maybe you With can hope for 100 million. Maybe you can Correct. hope for- Correct. I, I don't think Netflix has hit its peak number of subscribers. And I don't mean by a little bit. I don't think there's any reason they can't hit three. 300 million subscribers worldwide. They will make less per person, but there's a lot of growth to be had in Africa and Asia, including India. 
a lot of growth. They have a ton of them in North America. They have 222 million subscribers. I just They're just not going to have the explosive growth they've had for the past 10 years and certainly not the crazy growth they had during the pandemic. That was an unusual circumstance. They can continue to reach and find new subscribers, but what they can't do necessarily is spend $20 billion on content. Eventually, Correct. they spent $14 billion in 2019, 12 billion in 2020, 17 billion in 2021, and I think they're up to like 19 billion for 2022, something like that. But yes, they're not all going to be able to do that in the future, but I don't think today is the time to turn off the 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 tap. I mean, they have already gotten rid of one of their top programming people who had a big wallet and had good taste and everybody loved her because she gave you whatever budget you wanted and they made really good quality stuff. Now they're a little smarter. They're doing a little more penny pinching. They're not looking to spend a gazillion dollars on every single property. Maybe they won't make quite as many, but they're still going to make a lot. You know, they're not going to slow down quite yet. But yeah, they've got 222 million subscribers and they're getting a lot of money from each subscriber. Disney has 130 million and they're not getting nearly as much. They're charging $6 a month in North America. HBO is 76, Paramount is 56, Peacock is 54, including all tiers, including free and ad subscribed tiers. Hulu is 45 million, Apple has 40 million. So yeah, there's a lot more subscriptions now. People are already saying, dear God, do I need 17 you know, subscriptions just to make up for you know the cable bill that I cut? Yeah, they're getting a little sticker shock, but Netflix is not the one they're going to cut off first. No, I mean, Comcast, as you just mentioned, lost 500,000 subscribers as well. And they're a cable company. Uh, so they're trying to make up for it with, with Peacock. Um, now, you know, here's the thing. You, you know, they did mention, and I don't know if you want to get into this now or in the CinemaCon portion, they did mention, hey, finally, maybe, you know, they're, they're going to have ads, okay? They're going to have an ad, you know, AVOD, advertising video on demand. Uh, and, you know, you had a kind of a, a thought about that. Well, I want to help them out. I think they're a little beleaguered. They're a little, people said he sounded shell-shocked on his earnings call because he wasn't able to say, ha-ha, we're the king of the world, the head of Netflix. And I want to help him out. You want to do ads on Netflix? Don't mimic the network model. I don't think they would do that. Go back to what people did in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s on radio and TV. Have a sponsor for a show. Have Victoria's Secret or have General Motors sponsor Bridgerton, whoever's trying to reach a lot of women and gay men, I guess. And men watch it too, of course, but have a sponsor for the show. Like on PBS, you just say brought to you by General Motors. And at the beginning, the end of the show, you have a quick classy ad. You know, people are going to see it. You're not going to cut up each episode in eight minute segments. You don't have to create that fake dramatic thing where there's a cliffhanger every seven minutes because you're cutting a commercial. You get it classy. It's a good, positive environment. You can charge more for it because they're the sponsor of Bridgerton. They're the sponsor. Coke, you know, Stranger Things 4 brought to you by Coke. Boom. And you're done rather than 17 ads. That way you get ads, you get extra money coming in. You get to charge more for them because it's such a classy thing and you don't annoy your subscribers and people who are maybe paying half the rate and watching ads by having the same overflow of ads you have on network TV. I think it, I think it could work. Oh, and by the way, this episode is brought to you by Lucky Strike Cigarettes. LSMFT. Uh, no, Lucky, it's not. No, Lucky we, Strike you know, means fine tobacco. 
You know, there are rules about, about, oh. that, about, oh. about, yes, uh, tobacco oh. advertising. So I would say, uh, please, uh, FCC or whoever's listening to this, uh, that was just an example. Do you that think was not this a- is a reflection of Netflix being poorly run? People thought it was whatever the stock price is. Forget that because that's a different story. If you're trying to make money week to week on stock prices, that's a different issue. But does this mean, Oh, Netflix was way overhyped. Streaming isn't that big a deal, or they're a really poorly run company and they're spending too much money. It's a disaster. Uh, what do you think the takeaway is from this? Well, I don't know about poorly run. I do know that they have this whole like everybody on the team has to be an all star superstar. So the churn there, as far as employees goes, is pretty high, and they are undergoing some layoffs right now, uh, mainly because of you know their stock price plummeting thirty five percent in one day, uh, but. As far as poorly run, I would say, hey, you can't just throw everything at the wall and see, you know, so that's being you're saying more poorly selective. run. So that's poorly run in terms of how many shows they were making. Well, I think now you have to start at least being a little more so. Before, I get it. You had to have that waterfall of content, that that fire hose of content. Now, maybe start being a little more selective in what you're choosing to greenlight. I feel a little differently because they have pivoted so well. They pivoted from just shipping you a DVD to streaming and now to making originals, which are three very different things. And they have done it well every time. And now they're pivoting again in terms of gaming. You know, we think, remember that for a year now, they've been buying up gaming companies and how silly that seems. And are we going to go to our Netflix app to play video games while we're on our mobile phone? I don't know. But they're also creating content from those video games. I mean, they've turned shows into video games, not very well, like Stranger Things. And now they're turning Exploding Kitties, which is a card game. They're turning that into a TV show and a mobile game. And guess the two guys making Exploding Kitties into a TV show? It's Mike Judge and Greg Daniels. That's some serious talent and probably some serious money. They have purchased three game studios. Remember, The Witchers is one of their big hits. That was a video game turned popular TV show. League of Legends has been turned into the TV show Arcane, which hasn't done as well, but not everyone is going to work. And I think it's just an overall overvaluation for all these tech stocks. If you look, Spotify is down a massive amount, like 65% from its peak this year. Uh, Meta, the owner of Facebook, is down almost 50%. They lost $230 billion in their market cap. YouTube, their ad growth just slowed. And they are down. The Alphabet stock, the owner of, of YouTube and Google, is down 23%. Amazon's growth slowed. It didn't even like reverse, and but it's its slowest pace in decades. And so their stock is down about 30% from their peak. So they were all overvalued as stocks. That's not our area of concern. But whether you think Spotify is poorly run or Meta or YouTube or Amazon or Netflix, I think that's a different question from the stock price. And in general, I don't see them making a ton of mistakes when they were spending all that money and throwing everything to hit at the wall, that's as they saw Disney and Paramount and everybody making a gazillion new shows and taking back all their old properties and saying, well, this is ours now. I want Seinfeld, right? And so they were like saying, we got to make the big content while we can before they all start to really get hit their stride. Those guys are hitting their stride. I'm sure Netflix will slow down on their spend and they've shown they can make good shows and I don't think they have to overspend to do it. Big deal, big whoop. You looking for a segue? Oh, so you were trying to say it's a it's a big deal. Is that is that what you're trying to say? That, yeah, I was well. just trying to help you out. That's right. Okay. Uh, here's the thing. Or it's not a big deal. You're saying it's not a big deal. Uh, we'll place a link to a story in uh, from Bloomberg 
uh, about uh, everything. Uh, Lucas Shaw wrote a story about the, the how media stocks have fallen more than 50% this year. Some of the reasons, by the way, for that will be found in our Big Deal or Big Whoop Ooh. segment. In fact, yes, uh, because it is time for Big Deal or Big Whoop, our weekly segment where we discuss the top headlines in entertainment and tell you whether they're really important or just overhyped nonsense. Our first story has nothing to do with streaming. In fact, the Tony Award sent out a letter to potential ticket buyers uh, to its upcoming awards ceremony. Here's the thing. You must wear black tie. Okay, that's number one. <laughs> okay. you, can't, you can't give your ticket away to someone else unless it's us. In which case, you can totally give your ticket to us. Absolutely. You'll need to show you've been vaccinated. That's not a problem for you, Michael, right? Not, nope, not a problem nope. for us. I got my yeah, booster. Yeah. Uh, they don't take American Express, in fact. I mean, really, who wants to pay all those fees? Those like, yeah, no way. nobody wants to. Yeah. Oh, by the way, here's, here's a little in the fine print. Yeah. Don't slap anyone. Okay. <laughs> That's in the fine print. According to a copy obtained by Deadline, the letter said, the Tony Awards has a strict no violence policy. In the event of an incident, the perpetrator will be removed from the event immediately. We're talking to you, Mr. Smith. Okay, they, I added that last part. But anyway, so that's that's all cleared up now. So apparently, be on your best behavior at the Tony Awards. Big deal or big whoop? Well, I think it's a big deal because I think they messed up. I mean, really? What? That's That's all they came up with? Well, if you hit someone... We're going to get angry. Really? Because we've saw him screaming from the seat obscenities. We've seen Kanye West take to the stage and not hit anyone, but hijack a ceremony. And so now that we've had a little time to process this again, something broader and clear, you disrupt the event in any way, shape or form, you will be asked to leave and you will be kicked out of our organization. You won't be a member of the Tony Awards anymore. You won't be a member of the Academy. You won't be a member of the Grammys or whatever it's called anymore. You're going to be out. And you can't do and anything they will, to disrupt the ceremony. Don't yell out. Don't criticize or attack or berate anybody around you. We are the final arbiters of that choice. What we think is appropriate behavior. Don't take to the stage unless you are a part of the show and that's part of the show and understood in advance. Don't hijack the ceremony in any way, shape, or form. If you disrupt the live ceremony, if you belittle or in any way, shape, or form, disrupt the evening for other members, uh, in front of the stage, on the stage, behind the scenes, in any way, shape, yeah, or form, yeah, we get it. You will yeah. be asked to leave immediately. But what did they do? They said, "Well, don't hit anybody." Really? That's all they could come up with? That's ridiculous. Well, uh, you know, I'm sure that was uh, that letter was run through about 510 lawyers before it was. Uh, <laughs> there's no, there's no, there's no legal problem with saying you can't, you can't disrupt our ceremony, and if you do, we will kick you out of our group. They need to have stronger things in place. This has happened multiple times. It's not just the slap. And they need to take stronger measures and be clear that nobody can disrupt anything in any way, shape, or form, or you'll immediately be ejected, no questions asked, and we decide, and you're out of our group. That's not asking so much. They've had enough time to think about this, behave like adults, and take strong measures. This is just ridiculous. Speaking of strong measures, the European Union ain't playing around, Amazon. It means business, Facebook. Your business. The <laughs> EU is taking on out-of-control social media companies with the Digital Services Act. After years of watching companies tilt elections, sell illegal products, spread dangerous misinformation during a worldwide pandemic, and raking in gazillions of dollars for doing so, major countries are taking steps to rein those companies in. This new act has, uh, it'll pass later this year, but the outlines are clear and they are major. Tech companies will have to fight misinformation, stop targeting users with ads based on their ethnicity, sexual orientation, political <laughs> leaning, and so on. 
reveal their algorithms, be, be liable for the goods sold on their platform. We mean you, Amazon, by the way. And among many other uh, steps, they'll have to do an annual review of how they're doing fighting misinformation and hate speech. And if they fail to take steps, they will face fines to get, get this 6% of their global revenue. That's what the fine could be. That's, that's a lot. lot. <laughs> yeah. And that's just for starters. And it comes right on top of March's Digital Markets Act, which strives to end anti-competitive business practices and app stores. Yes, yours, Apple. Online advertising and internet shopping. I believe it even has some copyright stuff in there. Now all they have to do is beat back challenges in court and then enforce it. So good luck with that. Big deal or big whoop. I'm sorry. What did you say? I was on TikTok. Uh, I didn't I, hear that. Oh. Yeah. So this is big. It's going to have really substantial impact long term. There has to be teeth behind it. They have passed stuff in the past and they have not enforced it. So if this doesn't have teeth, it won't matter. So you've got to prove they're serious. And so far, they've hired, they're have they hiring 250 people in place to staff all this oversight. Uh, not enough. <laughs> Their data privacy laws were strong on paper, but they weren't enforced properly. So this could have a huge impact and it would matter all over the world. And I hope they take it more seriously and that they, you know, really, really staff up and gear up because Believe me, there's a lot more than 250 lawyers working for Alphabet and Amazon and all these other people. And by the way, the UK also passed some big new laws about television. It's kind of confusing and vague to get into. If you're in the UK uh, TV biz, maybe you can explain it to us. Write us a letter. Basically, they're saying British TV must be really British. And they'll decide what counts as really British, I guess, showing a double-decker bus every other scene. And sports, this is interesting, need to be widely available in some way. So not sure what that means if Amazon gets an exclusive rights to a football game because they're like, no, people need to be able to watch this even if they don't subscribe to one particular service. Not sure how that works because, you know, before you just switch the channel and you could watch it. Now it's complicated. So that's going to have an impact as well. But again, only if they act on, you know, putting it into practice and actually defend the laws. But those are a lot of big impacts. Well, I can tell you the whole sports thing availability that would never work in the U.S. You would literally blow up the the, the industry because, for instance, I'm still a cable subscriber because I'd like to watch the Los Angeles Dodgers. It's only available through cable because the cable company paid eight billion dollars to the Dodgers for 25 years worth of their, you know, the rights for 25 years. So. If I want to watch the Dodgers, I'm a cable subscriber, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, here's the thing. All that stuff about the, the, the ad targeting, that is one of the reasons you're seeing all of these social media companies like Facebook. They're all ha struggling now with the, the, the ad targeting issues that they have through Apple and others. Uh, this is just going to affect them even more. Speaking of being affected, uh, just days into filming. The next two Fast and Furious movies, he was doing them back to back. Okay, yeah. director Justin, yeah, director Justin Lin slammed on the brakes. Ooh, see I what see I what did you there? did there. Yeah, yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he he is stepping down from the director's chair, though he'll still play a role as a producer, since Lin has helmed more Fast and Furious movies than anyone else, and the movie is already rolling down the tracks. This is a kind of a stunning development. He didn't cite like you know, not exhaustion, not at all, no. Creative differences. Creative differences. He actually came out and was like, yeah, no, I don't want to make that movie. Creative differences. Uh, I, I, I want the truck to go over the other truck and then smash into pieces. 
Yeah, and it's a creative differences on a Fast and Furious movie. I mean, what did you say? Like, I, you know, I, there's no way we could have this car be rocketed into outer space. Absolutely. Oh, wait, they've already done that. So big deal or big whoop? I mean, Vin Diesel must be really hard to work with. Good Lord, right? Yeah, apparently now it's coming out that, yeah, no, it was uh, Vin Diesel's onset behavior that made Justin go, you know what? Actually, I don't need this. Vin Diesel's becoming the Leah Michelle of, uh, of, of action movies, and that's not a good thing. He needs to really work on that because uh, Lynn had made a number of these movies, and he's finally, I mean, it's already started filming and he walked away. Wow. They do have a new guy. Director Louis Leterrier is in pole position. To be director of scheduling can be worked out. See what I did there. Uh, He's the guy who directed Now You See Me, uh, that magic illusionist movie with uh, Jesse Eisenberg and others. Uh, He was a showrunner on the international hit Lupin. And uh, he also directed, nobody else will care about this, but I do, every episode of the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance TV series. Very good first season. I sure heck wish there would be a season two. That's from Jim Henson and them. But oh well. But, you know, that's an interesting choice, and that's a big step up for uh, uh, director Louis Leterrier, and I'm sure if they can work it out, he'll do it, because by God, they need someone. Yeah, and you know what? For Justin Lin to exit, not one, but two movies after it started shooting and leave a major studio like Universal in the lurch, think about his, you know, that will affect his career. He had well, to basically be like, that is, I cannot, I can't ha- do However, it. I don't think it will affect his career. They seem to have known it for a while. They were all working together on coming up with a solution. Uh, when it was announced, people made a point of saying, look, it was on the, the official uh, movie, social media, in the font and style. I mean, clearly they in the studio were all aware that there was a problem and that he wanted to step away. I think they just kept saying, can you just try longer, try again, you know? And I think he's like, no, you know, finally. But I think, I don't think he's leaving in the bad graces of the studio as such. Clearly they're not happy, but I think if there's anyone they're mad at, I think it's Vin Diesel. Well, that's probably true. Yeah. Uh, now, speaking of being mad, I- I'm really upset at T-Bone Burnett. Why? Do you see how, by the way, I've, I've linked oh, every single story by genius. saying speaking of, genius. speaking of, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm mad because he's going to make me throw away everything. Oh, everything. I'm, gonna everything. Throw, I'm headed over to Amoeba uh, Records right now, in fact, to, to rebuy Wow, what's everything. going on? Well, producer and musician T-Bone Burnett is launching a new analog format for recorded music with a company called Neo Fidelity. Think of it as like an aluminum LP rather than a vinyl LP. That's certainly what it looks like in a photo he released. The new analog format will kick the ass of even high-fidelity vinyl and all digital formats, says Burnett. He's even cajoled Bob Dylan into the studio to re-record some of his classic songs for the new format as a showcase. The the releases are given the name, this is the name that they've been given, Iconic Originals, which I guess is catchier and more accurate than like mobile fidelity. I, I don't. Yeah, that's, a, that's another high-end uh, 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 Yeah, okay. Well, here, here's what we don't know, okay? And this is kind of important. What makes it special? How the format works? How much an album on this new format would cost? And how much the machine needed and the equipment needed to play it would cost? We kind of <laughs> need to know all of that. However, we do know it would mean replacing all our vinyl, CDs and digital downloads with this brand new format. And I am totally excited. I can't wait to go to Amoeba. Uh, big dealer, big whoop. Uh, T-Bone, I'd like you to meet Neil Young and his format, Pono. 
<laughs> anyway. Crickets, crickets, crickets. Yeah. Digital sound is frozen. Analog sound is alive. Uh, this is what he said in his press release. An iconic original is the pinnacle of recorded sound. It is archival quality. It is future proof. I'm not sure how that's true. It is one of one. Not only is an iconic original the equivalent of a painting, it is a painting. It is lacquer yeah. painted onto an aluminum disc with a spiral etched into it by music. Uh, so whatever. None of it is explained what's going on here. I will say this. Obviously, you don't have to throw out all your vinyl or your CDs or your digital downloads. This can be something you buy for new stuff. You don't have to switch all over in one day. There is a big market for vinyl now. It's not as big as digital music or streaming, but it is a, almost a billion-dollar market, and there's a lot of crap being shoveled out there. A lot of the you go into stores and you see the Beach Boys on vinyl for like $30, $35, or they talk about, oh, it's heavy, grand weight, and they don't do a good job. They're not doing mobile fidelity is a place, you know, when you got a mobile fidelity CD or LP, they took care and you trusted that they were going to do a really good job on remastering and packaging. It was going to be high quality. A lot of the vinyl being shoved out there now is not high quality, even when they're charging you premium prices. So is there a market for some supremely high fidelity, good thing that's expensive like all these others, but actually delivers on it? Yeah, maybe there is a niche. Is this going to replace everything else? Almost certainly not, but I'm interested. I'm intrigued. If you have to record with his special equipment in order to create these iconic originals or whatever the hell it's called, that's a non-starter because then you got to win the studio wars and people can record on their phone and in their home, in their bedroom. But is there room for a niche, really good, high quality thing? Yeah. And if it's not $10,000 to buy a machine to play it on and the iconic originals are $25 or $30 rather than $100, I might actually be interested. But it is a big problem with vinyl. There's a lot of crap being put out there right now. Maybe he can help with that. Shooting in Los Angeles hit an all-time high in the first quarter of 2022. I mean, bullets were flying back. Oh, oh, actually. <laughs> Whoa, no, no, no. No, we're, we're, we're not talking about gun violence. Okay, I thought we were talking about gun. Yeah, no, we're talking about the film and TV industry. The greater Los Angeles area has come roaring back. Plus, it's just easier to do this stuff closer to home when you might have to pause because of COVID, right? I mean, is that a factor? Actually, I guess it's certainly not the regressive laws being passed in states like Florida, Georgia, Texas. Uh, is there another state that I should add to this mix? What time is it? Wait a day. Wait noon? a day. Yeah. Yeah. I'll check yeah, the emails. Yeah, that, that could also give studios pause. Who wants to defend every cockamamie law targeting women, gays, math books, uh, you know, just to shoot a one hour drama for all those reasons and more? L.A. is back to being the dream factory. Big deal or big whoop? When is the last time they had an all-time high in shooting for Los Angeles? This is good news, I think. I have no I mean, idea. It's, it's not a post-pandemic high compared to, you know, what it was doing during the pandemic. It's an all-time high, and there is a lot more competition for production dollars. There's a lot more states like, of course, New York and Florida and Georgia and Texas and on and on. So that seems like really good news. I hope people, I mean, you know, we're barely out of the pandemic, if out of it at all. And to have this happening, I think, is a really great sign. Yeah, I agree. Uh, now, speaking of bad signs, see, how, see, I went back to speaking. Uh, this is CNN. Oh, my God. It must be James Earl Jones, because where is James Earl Jones when you need him? I mean, did, did he ever say the word plus, by the way? I mean, Look, he, he must I, I'm your father. Plus. Yeah, no, I, I think I, I don't know if they did. They would have the voice of Darth Vader saying this is CNN plus. 
Wait, uh, you know, get Mr. Jones back in the studio. We need him to say just one more thing. This was CNN Plus. <laughs> yes, after uh, about a week, basically, a week in business, the new folks at Warner Brothers Discovery are cutting back production at the new streamer. They've lured new talent, launched new shows, turned on the lights, and they signed up subscribers even. And now it may just get folded into HBO Max, so why bother? And wait a second, here's an update. Nope, nope, they're not bothering. Actually, CNN Plus is now a minus. CNN minus, they're not doing it. Uh, big deal or big whoop? Uh, it's a big deal. You know, he launched a big new service, but you've got a new boss, and they first thing they do is say, wait a second, what can we pull the plug on? No, what's this? No, 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 no. You know, you knew they were going to fold it in anyway. We weren't sure there was a need for a standalone CNN Plus. The whole appeal of CNN is live breaking news that doesn't work on streaming, but can they do more shows? Yes. Can that be a valuable property to have in your mega HBO Max app, which is going to include Discovery and CNN? Yeah, why not? Uh, Chris Wallace was a big get from Fox News. Audie Cornish came from NPR. Casey Hunt came from NBC slash MSNBC. And uh, other people, you know, a lot of people are affected. Their staff is affected. People upended their lives. So that's really a shame for them. That's really hard. But... It's not a complete shock. You got a new boss. This barely got off the ground. Like, never mind. We're walking away from that right away. They got to make all these big talent happy because you don't want to be known as the place that, you know, screws over talent. But there's a plenty of room for them at CNN and at the new whatever they're going to do with HBO Max. Uh, and, you know, the cost cutting. I mean, they said, look, we're going to be doing quite quality programming. We're not Discovery Channel, just junky reality stuff. That's not us. But they have killed CNN Plus. Now they are axing scripted programming at TNT and TBS. If they want to change that attitude, they better act and do something now to convince us that they're actually going to invest in quality scripted programming. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, this was such a the fact that they continued down this path after the merger was announced uh, and they said, yeah, we're going to launch a 300. We're going to spend 300 million dollars launching a service that somebody else will then take over. It was such a bad idea from beginning to end. Uh, mm -hmm. Now, was it a bad idea? Because it's just a bad idea, meaning that, that a standalone news. No, it's a bad idea because you're doing it amidst a merger. That's why, it's a bad but you can't idea. stop work just because the merger is about to happen. You know, but they you announced stop. it after the merger yeah, was yeah, announced. Yeah, you know, so maybe go. Yeah, we'd like to do this because we do think it's the wave of the future. But until the merger happens, but, they can't. They can't talk to them about it. So they had to just do what they thought was best and continue yeah. life and business as usual. Yeah. Well, in a remarkable move. Florida has stripped Disney World of its, and it's not just Disney World, it's the Walt Disney Company, yeah. of its unique ability to self-government in retaliation for criticizing a piece of legislation. Now, it really only affects the company in that, in that state, Florida. Uh, in other words, if any business of Florida questions anything done by Florida politicians, those politicians will make them pay, perhaps by gutting any tax breaks, changing the regulations that impact them, and so on. You know, Governor Ron DeSantis signed the bill into law after it passed the House and Senate in Florida, even as analysis by the Miami Herald in Florida said the move might stick Orange County and Osceola County with a $1 billion plus bill. That's right. <laughs> Disney was actually footing the bill for some things. We'll talk I'm about sure that in DeSantis a will raise taxes to pay for that. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. Here, yeah, Disney is one of the biggest employers in the state and a huge generator of revenue and tourism. But as a company, it 
fitfully opposed the state's targeting of queer kids and their families, not to mention teachers and math books via legislation <laughs> known as the Don't Say Gay Law. So big deal or big whoop? Well, it's a big deal. I mean, the, I, I've always thought that it was bizarre that Disney had this deal. It started in 1967 when they agreed to build Disney World and they got all this land and they basically, you know, had all sorts of authority and power that you shouldn't really have unless you're an actual incorporated city. But they had it. And I actually would have supported winding it down in some way, shape, or form because I don't thought it was an outrageous, you know, most favored nation deal. Every state should not be offering this to companies. But the reason they did it is really bad and how they did it is really bad. And I bet it won't actually really happen. They've got a year. Uh, he's making all his political points now. He's scoring all his political hay now. And within a year, once they dissolve it, they can then come to a new agreement and everybody will just make it work and make it happen and come to some new understanding that will kind of leave things the way they are because Disney's responsible for their own waste management and emergencies or all these little things that they do that cost a ton of money because it's, you know, they, Disney they World. They pay for the fire department, the police department, the as, sanitation. The, as a town the, would, as you would if you're Miami or Pompano Beach or, or Tampa or whatever. That's what right. cities do. And they're their own little fiefdom there. But yes, the result is that you've got this big, huge tax bill that those counties would be liable for. And Disney's probably got good standing, but it won't end up in court. It will just end up with them all. Once the legislators have scored their points, they won't care anymore. And they'll all figure this out. It may not be the same agreement as before, but they'll come to a new understanding that will leave things mostly the way they were. I don't think Disney should have had this ridiculous status in the first place, but the reason they ended it, like, oh, you can't criticize anything now. You're going to punish any business that doesn't, you know, kowtow to what you want at the state government. That's a really bad sign to send to business. Well, yeah, I think, uh, first of all, keep in mind, j just this little thing. First of all, Florida has no state income tax, right? That's Which is ridiculous. One. They have no they have no income tax. A, st a state is a different thing. They have no income tax. I don't know if they have a state taxes. I don't think most states do, but maybe they do. But they have well, no income tax. Yeah. Number two, uh, very often trips to Disney World will get booked by travel agents or by Disney themselves outside of Florida. So that means all those all that sales tax, they'll just be like, okay, no, no, we're gonna book that now in other states, not in Florida. We would have booked it in Florida, so we didn't have any income tax, but you know what? We'll just book it somewhere else. That's a weird take on this. What are you talking about? You think people are gonna- No, I'm just- People on, when per make purchases online sometimes do not pay the proper taxes that they should. There are state right. and federal laws that should fix that, and that's wrong, but that is not the major problem here, that people are gonna suddenly decide no, when they book their not. ticket um, to avoid the taxes. The problem is the state punishing a company that speaks out on a piece of legislation as if they have no right. They say corporations are people, well, then they get to have the right to speak up on legislation, don't they? They're the, one of the biggest employers in the state. They shouldn't even have be able to contribute politically, but certainly when they speak, you should listen. You know, this law actually prevents planes from flying over Disney World? Well, that's true. Yes, it's a safety issue. Yeah. Well, now, Israel content producers are pushing the country to pass new laws and make like the United Kingdom. First, producers want to retain more rights to the shows they produce and be able to sell them around the world. At the moment, it's the channels and the, the networks and the production companies that, that, that hold, well, not the production companies, the networks, hold all the power and they keep most of the rights for themselves. Second, the producers want to see new laws requiring streamers produce a minimum of content locally if they want to do business in Israel. Currently, there's no requirement at all. Both measures have proven successful in the UK, France, and other countries around the world. Big deal or big whoop? 
It's a very big deal. Just like a state in the U.S. can come up with some new strategy and other states will mimic it. You can see that happening in countries around the world. This is a great way to make sure we have healthy local production because you want that. You get hit TV shows all over the world and then they transfer or they get copied, you know. And so it's healthy for Israel. It's healthy for the industry as a whole. Streamers should not see it as a burden unless they get some laws that are crazy like France saying you got to wait two years to show it on your streamer uh, after you show it in a theater. You know, you got, everybody's got to work together to stay within a little bit of reality. But in general, I think these are really good measures. I think they're good for everyone. And I'm glad to see they're doing it. Well, that wraps up Big Dealer Big Whoop for this week and moves us along into Inside Baseball. Inside Baseball is where we analyze some of the headlines that have the entertainment industry buzzing. We'll explain what they mean for the business and more importantly, how they affect you. They affect you, Sprung, because you are tired. I am exhausted. Although I, I, you know, after a weekend of catching up on sleep, you know, after CinemaCon, uh, 19 hour days at CinemaCon lead to a very tired me. Were you very just like, oh, thank God we're back to a normal CinemaCon? Did it just feel like a relief, like getting back to con will be? Uh, yeah, it, it, it was definitely a bit of a, okay, you know, we're, we're moving toward a recovery and, and a, not a resurgence necessarily, but you could, see, you could sense that the movie theater business was, had turned a corner. Sidebar, are you going to con? Yes, I am. Oh, okay, cool. When is that? When do you May leave? something to something. May 14th. <laughs> it's very 16th, soon. 17th. It's very, so we have a show next week, but two weeks from now, you'll be doing it from con probably. Yes, All right. Exactly. Good to know. So what's, what's, what's the issue that they have? What's the, you were saying? The, the issue, of course, is that right now a lot of North American exhibitors are living off of uh, government money because of the SVOG payments, the Save Shuttered Venue Operator Grants, uh, and they need movies to come in and start replacing the money that they're getting from the government to, to replace you know that money. They, they basically need income. Do they feel like there is a steady stream of movies coming up? Are they like, I know there are some big blockbusters, but they feel like there's a good mix. There's enough movies are, or are they still going, Oh my God, release more movies. Yes. I think they are saying, Hey, you know what? You're now releasing movies that are big blockbusters. Thank you. It looks like Top Gun is going to do quite well. Lightyear, they showed 30 minutes of Lightyear. It looks like that movie is going to do quite well. Warner Brothers has one or two movies that could do well. Maybe not Willy Wonka, uh, but or whatever that that uh, leave film Timothy is Chalamet alone. Uh, but you know there are certainly you know they have a big uh, you know uh, are there enough the movies? Yes, Warner Brothers. I think probably uh, needs more movies. However, that's only this year. Next year, twenty twenty three. I think they're going to be chock a block with movies. All right. You look at Universal; they have tons of movies. Universal, but it's, this uh, is, eight, this is May. This is May. We got we got eight months of movie going before we get to twenty twenty three, and they need to survive. And the government money is going to be stopping. Are they scared? Are they worried? Are they feeling like okay, no, things are getting back to normal? We got Downton Abbey coming up, et cetera. They're going to be okay. Yeah, certainly Downton Abbey is a big bellwether. They're, yeah. You know, they're really they, looking at that. They got to get older audiences back to the theater. And Downton Abbey, if you can't do it for that, it's not happening. Right. And then, of course, Elvis for Warner Brothers. Everybody's, right. you know, the, the Braz Lerman film. Everybody's waiting to see how that does. Uh, that one that I wouldn't necessarily. Bad. That looks bad. I will say what they showed at CinemaCon looked way different than the trailer. I would say whoever did the trailer, trailer was you bad. need to recut it. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, here's my step back a second from, I saw this movie and the Top Gun was great. Before you do that, I just wondered what the atmosphere was like in the room and the relationship between exhibitors and studios. Because we've had two years of the pandemic. Exhibitors felt abandoned, rightly so. They were just left high and dry. Studios suddenly all started talking about, we're just going to release things on streaming. We don't even need movie theaters anymore. Or they said, if you're lucky, we'll release it day and date. They just felt you know, left behind. Nobody wanted to release anything and keep the lights on in any way, shape or form, even if it seemed to make financial sense. Like, well, we might get an extra four subscribers, so we won't. Disney was taking every quality Pixar film and putting it straight on Disney Plus, And they had 40% of the box office in 2019 worldwide. So these relationships have been very, very strained. And I wondered, did the studios come back hat in hand? Or were they just like, hey, we're back. You need us. Everything's fine. Was everyone just trying to pretend everything is back to normal? Or was there a little iciness in the room? What was it like? Well, okay. So just to, to give you some sense, this is a, a the world's largest convention of movie theater operators and major studios. Uh, and so there were exhibitors from all over the world there. Uh, however, they do things in two stages. They have their public presentation of their reels, of their, of their slate. But then they also do these dinners where, or like, you know, group meetings where they take people aside, certain exhibitors aside, and they have like meetings with them. So publicly, they, you know, Disney mentioned that certain things have changed over the pandemic. They didn't exactly allude to what, but they kind of said, you know, the business changes, the business is always changing. Uh, but things would have been a lot different if one, Netflix had not the week <laughs> before tanked. Okay. That, that made everybody happy. That made everybody happy. Yeah. I mean, basically Netflix tanks and I think everybody went, oh yeah. Okay. So maybe theatrical is necessary. And then you had well, the, on the really? opening day. Really? That's what made studios think theatrical was important. Netflix. Well, and then you had Warner brothers turn around and say, Hey, you know, David Zasloff, the new head of, you know, Warner brothers discovery say, I don't think it's it's we're we're talking about rearranging or or basically reversing course in terms of gutting the theatrical uh, distribution model. I mean, forty five days is great. Yeah, and and now you have Vincenzo Guzzo from from Canada saying, I don't know. I talked to the distributors, and he's they said sixty to ninety days. So nobody's even saying forty five days anymore. What they're saying is, hey, you know what? In 2019, at Warner Brothers, we made $9 billion or $7 billion. In 2020 and 2021, granted there was a pandemic, but combined we made $1.9 billion. We're doing it wrong. <laughs> we have to figure something out because we do need that money. That money is helpful. To have $42 billion worldwide, we don't want to be throwing that out. So at those dinners and those events... I assume you weren't attending. What was the what was the scuttlebutt? Were were there were there hard words? Were studios contrite, or was everybody like, "Oh, let's just put that behind us and get back to business"? Pretty much the latter. It was more like, "Hey, yeah, you know what? Uh, uh, it was an experiment." Richard Gelfond, who made nine million dollars last year, thank you for telling me. Uh, <laughs> he said, "Hey, you know what? That was an experiment. Simultaneous releases was an experiment, a pandemic experiment. It's over." 
John Fithian, the head of the National Association of Theater Owners. Well, sure. Stood on he's, the he said it's dead. Of course he did. That's he said it's dead. Well, thanks, John. And if you say it, it must be true. <laughs> well, and he General Motors says Tesla is terrible. <laughs> well, he wouldn't go out there and say something like that if he didn't have it from, you know, he's not going to do that. But I think it's a matter of of the studios realizing, hey, you know what? We thought we ha- had all the power, but you know what? We do kind of like the money you bring us. But was there any recognition sh- that if we don't support you, you won't be there? You know, if you don't release movies and when you, when it, cause, just because it doesn't suit you for some financial reason, guess what? Theaters will close. You know, yeah, you there was there was some of that yeah. in the private meetings right, because, right. they, you know, you well, had a lot of uh, you had a lot of studios saying, OK, we get it. We got to start sending you some more family films. We got to start sending you in between these big giant ten poles. You might need one or two films to keep you going. You think? Anyway, the big news right before CinemaCon began was that AMC announced that they were going to switch all over every screen in North America to laser projection. They have partnered with Cineonics. That's the company they're going to get their stuff. Cineonic, from. yes, Cineonic. Cineonic. They are going to do 950 hard tops with 10,500 screens. Uh, the project will finish sometime in 2026 late 2026 it's going to cost 250 million dollars i can't do the math but 10,000 screens and a 250 million dollars i don't know how much it is per screen but there's lots of advantages to this the big one is that you don't have to replace xenon bulbs and those were like the five figure six figure item that they hated to wear out well think about it every every like it's usually between yeah, about every three months you had to replace that bulb and that bulb died over time. So it got dimmer. And unless you had a projectionist, which let's face it, most movie theaters don't, who goes up and, and increases the power to get the bulb back, back brighter, then, you know, a bulb in its third month was like projecting at, you know, 70, 80, maybe yeah. 60% of the power. It looked like it looked horrible. Right. And and the, how much, how expensive were the xenon bulbs to replace? Like twelve hundred, fourteen hundred, fifteen hundred dollars, depending a on a you know, lot of money. So that's yeah. gone, and the bulbs that these use, uh, they use bulbs. I assume still, they're just a lot, lot cheaper. A lot cheaper, and the laser light source itself can last easily ten years, and it costs way less to operate. the The amount of energy used is way less. You need it's less, good for the less. environment. Yeah, it's good for the environment. Uh, and it's brighter and you can do high dynamic range. Look, you know what? Laser projection is not new. Okay. It's just that it, what is new is AMC deciding, you know what? We're the largest movie theater chain in the U S and we are going full force. We're getting rid of the xenon bulbs. It's kind of like, imagine if Amazon, which they did at one point and then kind of walked it back, said all of our trucks, all every delivery truck, we're getting rid of gas. Yeah. We're going full electric. Well, that would be a huge, uh, you know, it, it would mean something to the electric car business. Is this an advantage for AMC? Well, I say, oh, I want to go to AMC because they have laser projection. Or is this just, hey, they were first to switch to digital. Those are reaching their end of life cycle and they need to switch anyway. So this is just what they're doing. Are they going to put ads and yeah. say laser projected? And will I care about that the way they might with IMAX? Yes, it, I, I think you will because the picture is way brighter pops right off the screen and you can do high dynamic range. You know, you can actually, well, why do I care about that? that, You said that, but I don't know what that means. That means the colors are more vibrant. The blacks are black. The whites are white. They're not gray. You know, it's, it's, you'll, you definitely noticed. And this is on every screen or is this on the premium format or IMAX screens? Am I going to see this big difference wherever I go? Generally, 
generally it should be every laser projector, but there might be certain laser projectors that can't that, that don't have the dynamic range capability. Is, is everyone else going to have to move quicker, or will they just wait to the end of their life cycle and step up to? Or is laser projection the new normal? And like that's it what is the new will normal. Switch to when they have to. Will they speed Correct. up their switch? Will they feel like they're at a disadvantage, or will they just be like, no, no, no? People aren't going to know that much. I think it's a matter of, you know, I think it's half and half. I think they will watch to see what happens with AMC. If more people are going to AMC across town because they have laser projectors, yeah, then you'll see something. But and you know the, what? At, at at the end of last year, everybody thought no exhibitor, no movie theater operator is going to buy any new equipment. Well, right. I guess that's not true. Well, my big question is, will this make a difference for my experience when I go to a local theater? Because we've talked about for years, we've had horrible projection. We should have the best projection in history because it's digital prints. There should be no scratches, no things. But people are trying to save on these xenon bulbs and they've got dim projection, crappy images, crappy sound. I'm going to movies and sometimes they're so murky, I can't see what's going on. Uh, you know what? You will notice. You'll notice a big difference. Oh, okay. It was the difference between like a scratchy print, uh, a 35 millimeter print and digital. Yes, digital has its drawbacks without a doubt. Just ask Christopher Nolan. But six weeks into a run, you're still in the seeing, middle should of, see a great print. Yeah, right. Exactly. So in that regard, it was. And, you know, you asked me uh, about the, 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 the kind of relationship between distributors and exhibitors. Keep mm -hmm. one thing in mind. A lot of the distribution executives who were at the studios weren't necessarily all for this day and date simultaneous release. They were kind of their corporate overlords. To, yeah. And they weren't happy about it either. So they're kind of like, oh my God, thank goodness. Yeah, between you and me, I hated all this. Yeah. Uh, and they, they said that even, you know, two years ago, a year ago. So now they're finally saying, thank goodness we can get back to something that resembles normal. Well, you've got a good relationship with the tech people because that's the world you live in, all the people providing this equipment. And you did an interview with Harkness Head uh, of that company about the Claris XC170, the screen that is the screen of choice for CinemaCon. That's pretty cool uh, uh, to be the choice of CinemaCon. Is that just the dominant screen throughout the industry? Is that like what market share does it have? I mean, without it, I couldn't, I don't know off the top of my head what market share that particular screen has, but it mm -hmm. is all the premium screens are, you know, you'll see Harkness drives a lot of the screens in this business. Uh, they are one of the premium and premier providers of movie screens. Well, you did a, uh, you did an interview with them and we have a link to that video in our show notes, like a, like a six, seven minute thing that you did for them that they're hosting on their website. I would just say to you though, have you seen broadcast news? Uh, why do you ask? Because remember, William Hurt, uh, Robert Brooks is the great reporter, but William Hurt knows how to do camera. And William Hurt sat on his jacket when he was doing the news because then your coat collar doesn't ride up. And Albert Brooks is like, oh my God, you know, never even thought of that. Oh, just telling you. So, yank down did that my collar right up? Oh, yeah. Rank, yank down that jacket when before, you know, when you're starting to walk on it, just yank down that jacket. They can always edit it out. Make sure your jacket's not riding up. You can do that. You look good, though. It was a good interview. Day okay. and date. So John Fithian said, well, it's dead. And you're, not, you're saying it's not just him speaking wistfully or hopefully. It's he's saying that because, well, pretty much everyone's abandoned anyway. Warner Brothers has already said they wouldn't. Disney's not right. going to put everything just on, on Disney Plus because you can't keep making $200 million movies and just putting them on Disney Plus. You can make a $200 million series with 10 episodes right. that you hope will run five or seven seasons. But for a movie, that's just bonkers. 
Uh, so there you go. So uh, like the end of King Kong, somebody would say, oh, Disney, you know, Dane Data's dead. Uh, so the planes got it. No, twas piracy killed the beast. That is actually 100% accurate. Um, a lot of people said, yeah, you know, they, they don't want to um, destroy a $42 billion business, uh, much of which they were getting themselves. The studios were kind of probably what, making $30 billion or let's say, let's call it half, $15, $20 billion. Well, guess what? That was going to them. Okay. That was their money. That said, piracy definitely killed it. You, the second they, they had, I mean, one of the things everybody said is the moment that the Batman was on HBO Max, ticket sales plummeted 45 days in. Well, movies can still be seen, but if there's a lot of piracy out there, you know, okay, there's tons of piracy happening. If you see pristine prints going all over the place, you know, that's going to hurt you. Right. And, you know, you asked, we, we talked about Netflix earlier, but one of the things every, they always said, we will never have advertising. We are the anti-advertising company. We'll never have advertising. Well, now they're doing advertising. So the question remains, and I would, is everybody looks to Netflix and goes, well, Netflix, you're, you make a lot of movies and we're more than willing to show them. You just have to give them to us first. And then we'll, we're more than happy to give them to you 45 days later. And before the movie airs, we'll show half an hour of ads. Way too many ads in movie theaters. Way too expensive popcorn. Way too big sizes of popcorn and soda. Way well, yeah, too expensive. Uh, yeah. They cost more than the damn movie ticket. And way too many ads. 30 minutes. I plan to get to the theater 20 minutes after the movie begins. Because I know, otherwise, I'm wasting my time. It's not as much a draw anymore to see a trailer, people. You can see those trailers anywhere. I will go see Doctor Strange to see Avatar 2, because I do want to see that trailer. And I'm going to go see Doctor Strange anyway. So I'm intrigued by that. So I'll make sure I'm there on time, even though I know that'll be the last trailer before the movie begins. But tell so me. So when you say advertisements, you mean trailers, right? No, I mean all the damn ads. It's 30 minutes of junk. You know, little shows, little things, previews of this. They chit-chat about this. And that's all the crap. Yeah. Okay, that's that's uh, one particular company does that, uh, and yeah. I have to say, I I actually when I went to see that everything everywhere all at once, I I went to a movie theater, this local movie theater. I thought the movie started at seven fifteen. I was wrong. I was one hundred percent wrong. It started at seven forty. Yeah. yeah, and, and so it's I a was two hour and twenty minute film. No, no, no. I th I got the time wrong. I got the time wrong. Ah, I was there at seven forty five when the movie was actually supposed to start. That's when the trailer <laughs> started. And guess what? That's when people started showing up. No, but yeah. I was there by myself watching commercials oh, yeah. for half an hour oh, yeah. until the trailer started. Then people kind of showed up. Yeah, yeah. People show me they know. So like you're not helping anybody. It's okay to have things showing all the time, but give us the actual, you know, trailers, be movie, you know, trailers begin at 7.05, film begins at 7.15. In certain countries, it's actually the law that you have exactly. to say, when does the film start? Now, what I will tell you is there were a few studios that did say, hey, people, hey, movie theater owners, here's the deal. You know what? Retention rate of trailers don't show so many. Right. Yeah. And they all blur together. And you saw a lot of movies. I don't want to hear about them all unless you really feel strongly about it. I know you only saw 90 seconds of Avatar, The Way of Water. Um, so it is actually happening. Yes, I used to rail against 3D, not as a technology, but as the idea that every movie should be 3D. You can see how long that lasted for. When was the last time you heard people talking about 3D? But I will happily don my glasses for this movie. They can all dust off their 3D glasses because I'm sure it'll look cool. It will be worth the extra money and the bothersome of wearing glasses, 3D glasses during the movie. Did you have 3D glasses on when you watched that trailer? 
Yes, they gave out Dolby 3D glasses. Very and it's hard high to get, frame by rate, the way. and it's high frame rate. What was it like visually and technically? Uh, it looked less jarring than, say, The Hobbit, which you know screened in high frame rate. The the, the you know a probably because it's not a real world. You know, there aren't supposed correct. to be humans in it. Yeah. It, 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 correct. And I think they're not doing high frame rate so much as they're doing variable frame rate. So scenes that don't need to be high frame rate, 24 frames per second, then lots okay. of action, you flick, flip over to 48, 60 frames per second. And that is probably the way to do high frame rate. Um, but it did, there were certainly scenes where the movement looked very like awkward. And look, again, it was this 90 seconds. Early and it, well, they'll be able to process yeah. it a lot more. Exactly. But, but, 90 seconds. but did you go, wow, I can't wait to see this on a big screen, like just visually or technologically? Or were you like, okay, yeah. Yes, yeah. I did say that because of, you know, my own personal, you know, pr preferences. But I would like to see more than just, you know, 90 seconds of quick cut footage. Yeah. People die. And what? That came literally out of left. I'm going to take that back to left field where, uh, I don't, I don't know what you're talking. Oh, you mean our obituaries. Our That's obituary. Right. Oh, yeah. And actually, sadly, Naomi Judd died at the age of 76. And uh, it looks like she may have taken her own life. Well, no, I, we shouldn't say that. We don't know that. We just know that her daughter True. said that she died of, uh, of mental illness. You know, she, she was a victim. She died due to the disease of mental illness. We know nothing else, but it doesn't speak well. It's a very shame. She talked for years about battling depression, wrote a book about it, along with, I think, eight other books. But Naomi and her daughter, Winona, were part of a wave of neo-traditional acts and country music. They took the country world by storm. Uh, basically, it was for like six years. They had eight straight number one hits, starting with Mama, He's Crazy. They had 14 number one hits in all. They won five Grammys. They dominated the CMAs and the Academy of Country Music Awards from the mid-80s. They were the group that won duo or group every year, year after year. It was basically six albums in seven years from 1984 to 1990. Uh, Randy Travis started in 1986, two years after they began. They really, really led that wave of neo-traditional stuff, so that's very cool, but I'm not making light of this. I feel sorry for them. It's very sad, but it's so country. I mean, she died the day before she and Winona were set to be formally inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame, along with Ray Charles and others. And in classic country style, like they went on with it anyway. Winona showed up with Ashley Judd. They said, no, we want to continue. You know, everybody cried. It was like to die the night before you get inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame. It's just you couldn't script that. And uh, they inducted a couple other people. Drummer Eddie Bayers, who is a drummer. And recorded with the Judds and on 300 plus platinum country albums. And Pete Drake, a pedal steel guitar player who played on Stand By Your Man and the George Jones classic, He Stopped Loving Her Today. And then it said, by the way, Pete Drake is the first pedal steel guitar player to be inducted. I'm like, what? And then it turned out, I think they have just started inducting musicians. That's why Eddie Bears is the first drummer and he's the first pedal steel guitar player because that made no sense. But anyway, other people died. French actor and multi-hyphenate Jacques Perrin died at 80. You might know him from Cinema Paradiso. He produced movies like the Oscar winner Z. And he was a producer, director, and actor on documentaries and stuff about nature. He produced Microcosmos, which is a terrific-looking movie. And he co-directed Winged Migration, which was an Oscar nominee and a great documentary. So uh, very cool for him. Uh, what's this? Um, Tony Winner. Neil Adams. Tony winning actor Robert Morse died at the age of 90. He won the Tony two times uh, for True, his one-man show about Truman Capote, and for How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. And people will know him best probably these days for Mad Men. He popped into Mad Men. So that was kind of cool. And he's one of the few people 
who have won Tonys for the lead in role in both plays and musicals. Others include Rex Harrison, Christopher Plummer, Zero Mostel, and of course, Audra McDonald, who did it in every category. She's amazing. And finally, Neil Adams, the cartoonist and comic book legend. He died at the age of 80. He was a member of the Will Eisner Comic Book Hall of Fame. Of course he was. Every comic book Hall of Fame has Neil Adams in it. He drew Batman, Green Lantern, The Avengers, X-Men, and many more in what was his trademark photorealistic style. His style wasn't just photorealistic. He really worked on storylines and stuff that were photorealistic as well. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. Uh, he started at Archie Comics. He went freelance and then finally broke into the DC world when he started doing covers for Action Comics, which was the mothership of Superman comic books. Then he went freelance again and he began drawing for both DC and Marvel. That's how good he was. And he and writer Dennis O'Neill, they were the first to reboot Batman back to his grittier, darker origins, something that apparently has to happen every 10 years so we can have Batman not be cartoonish. They also innovated on the Green Lantern, Green Arrow series by tackling timely issues. This is where I talk about photorealistic. They tackled racism. They gave the sidekick Speedy a heroin addiction. They created one of the wow. first leading black superheroes in the comics. They made comic books safe for adults. And just as importantly as his legendary artistry was his lifelong advocacy for the rights of comic book creators. He founded the comic book, the Comic Creators Guild. He pushed publishers to return their original artwork back to the artists. Most of the time, the publishers just kept it or they shredded it and just refused to send it back to them. He sued Marvel to reclaim artwork by himself and Jack Kirby, and he lobbied for Superman creators Joe Schuster and Jerry Siegel to get their financial due from DC. Our show was too long, but I reached out to our friend of the show, Jeff Boucher, who knows this world better than anyone, and you should listen to his Jeff Boucher's Mind Space. It's a fun podcast hosted by Heavy Metal. And he said he was my favorite artist ever. I'm sorry. He said he was my fave artist ever. That's comic book talk. He met him. We hit it off. I interviewed him on stage in New York, California, Arizona. I interviewed him on video a few times. I described him often as the greatest living comics artist. And now I can't because now he's died. So, you know, a big, big fan, Jeff Boucher. So Neil Adams work, you can check it out and uh, you can check out our show too, can't you? Yes, you can subscribe to it in iTunes, the Google Podcast Directory, Microsoft Marketplace, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere they give podcasts away for free. You can usually find our show and please do rate and review it in any one of those podcast aggregators that allows you to do so. It helps us out when you do that. That information can be found on our website, showbizsandbox.com. That's where you'll find links to all of the stories we've discussed on today's episode, as well as ways to contact us. Dirt at Showbiz Sandbox is our email address. That's D-I-R-T at showbizsandbox.com. We're also on uh, on Twitter at Showbiz Sandbox is our handle. On Facebook, facebook.com slash showbizsandbox is where you can like our page. And you can call us 888-567-SAND. That's 888-567-7263. That information, again, is on our website showbizsandbox.com. The music that you hear at the beginning and end of each show is by the popular indie rock group, MGMT. They can be found on their own website, who is MGMT.com. Michael Giltz has a website, and every week, it's something new and exciting. What is it this week, Michael? This week, it's happybirthdaytome.com. Yes, Berlin, you're a terrible work husband, because it is my birthday today, May 2nd, and you didn't what? remember. What? I thought it was at the end of May. May I have it at the end of May. May 2nd. May 2nd. Oh, happy birthday. Thank you very much. But if you can't find me there, you can find me at michaelgiltz.com.
And if we had a tip jar, they could all send in a little treat. But no, Sperling couldn't get the tip jar set up for my birthday. Uh, I'm sorry, Michael, you're breaking up. I can't hear you. Keep going. (laughs) Well, you know what? Uh, Some of my work can be found on celluloidjunkie.com. Until next week, play nice. (laughs) Oh, 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 oh,